0: Before we begin tonight's episode, I'd just like to apologize, and I've recorded and deleted this apology several times because no words can describe how embarrassed I was for a comment that was uttered on the podcast last week. Um, Laura and I strive to create an environment for all of our listeners, and we didn't do a good job of that last week, and I apologize, and it won't happen again. The Big Beat Manifesto goes, big beats are the best, get high all the time. Right. At the time it felt like a much more
1: all-encompassing philosophy. Yeah. This is outrageous. This is contagious.
0: Hey everybody, welcome to the L Dude Brothers podcast episode 58, The William Morris Years. My name is Sean and I'm a spiker and I enjoy spiking shitheads.
1: And my name's Laura and I enjoy sunken bed and toilet toast. <laughs> How so, are you?
0: Oh, I'm doing good. I was just going to say, so here we are, Laura. Season yeah. 9.
1: The beginning of the end. And I was, I, so I realized that this is the first... I'm going to say this is the first picture of like modern times now it feels like and this was the first time I watched Peach Show, and I was on Twitter live at the time so I trawled back and I found my tweets from that night and that was the first thing I tweeted was this is the beginning of the end and so it is again
0: Oh that's awesome any mm. uh particularly enlightening tweets that you found for this episode
1: No nothing nothing massive but I've I've made a note in my notes of when I when I tweeted so I'll let you know if I had a comment at the time to make about it
0: oh that's awesome cool I can't wait to see this is like uh it was like retroactive tweeting
1: yeah yeah past me and present me coming together synergy <laughs>
0: <laughs> that sounds like something a life coach would say
1: yeah it does it does how's your week been
0: don't want to talk about it it's just been busy more of the um, same Japanese wrestling same. and work Japanese wrestling and work, and then oh. when I'm not at work, it's just Japanese wrestling.
1: Fair enough. Well, that, I mean, that's good, great for you, I guess.
0: Oh, it's been fantastic. I mean, the shows have been incredible. This is, like, New Japan's, like, biggest stretch of shows over the year, and the matches has just been all fantastic. So, I'm not complaining, but it's just, I'll be so glad when my sleep schedule goes back to normal. Yeah.
1: And then you're going to have a baby, which all disrupts your sleep schedule, so... Yeah, no, don't
0: get used to it. Uh, But I'll have about, like, three months of normal sleep schedule before (laughs) the baby gets here, so...
1: Just, like, yeah, build it up. Bank it. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, So, this episode premiered on November 11th, 2015. I just had kind of written a little, uh, quick little recap of my life at this point. Mm -hmm. i've been at my current job a little over two years i was pretty much convinced that no new seasons of peep show would ever exist i'd pretty much watched series one through eight probably about two or three times at this point and then i was i but i was really excited for series nine and this was the first time i ever used a vpn to trick iplayer into letting me watch british shows live so oh cool i was so i
1: was thinking about what i was doing too I was, um, so I'd gone from, at the end of series eight, I wasn't quite married, I was just about to get married. By the time series nine happened, I'd not only got married, but I'd had a baby and she was one at that point. And I was just about to get pregnant with my second child. So this was the last month before we started trying for Esther. Um, And I was back at work, but only just, I went back to work in the September from my maternity leave with Sadie. And I was just about to get pregnant again and really pleased by employers. Uh, so I was on the verge of having two children by this point. So a lot had happened. It was a long time, wasn't it? It was like, how long was it? Three years?
0: Uh, Yeah, it was just about three years, I believe, yeah. between episodes.
1: Yeah, and like you, I'd started to believe that a new series of Peep Show was never going to happen. I'd even read something to that effect by, I think it was an interview with David Mitchell where he'd said... Perhaps a year, eighteen months before this, he'd said, "Oh well, we've, it's open ended, but maybe there'll never be another series." And I was like, "It can't end that way." Bring, yeah, it, bring it back.
0: I, I'm looking at it right now. It was, it was, uh, two years, eleven month, uh, two years, eleven months between mm. episodes.
1: Yeah. So we were very excited in our house for this, um, and I was so excited that my tweeting started several hours beforehand so my first tweet was 10 hours before it aired when i said i was ridiculously excited for brand new peep show in nine hours and four minutes
0: oh that's awesome yeah <laughs> there's a, a website that i post on called somethingawful.com and they do they have a television forum and i i created my first and only post in that forum and it was a peep show thread where i talked all about peep show i made like a you know like a hey we should watch this show together thread and it was the only successful thread i've ever started on somethingawful.com
1: uh it's weird isn't it because in that space of time between series 8 and series 9 airing i guess this was the same for a lot of people but this was like this was a different era for me in terms of watching tv and talking to other people about it in real time and that was a complete revelation watching this this series of peep show
0: yeah that is interesting i guess i hadn't thought about that um something awful has been was kind of like my twitter before i even knew what twitter was um mm,
1: no but i, I understand cuz i there's similar and there's similar things on reddit that i've done and i do it for the affair that i watch um and also i obviously use twitter for it and it's a di- completely different way of watching tv but we take it for granted now cuz this is what we do like big television events we all watch them together don't we
0: yeah and it's it's weird how common it's become for me to have like my cell phone, like have Twitter out on my cell phone and I'll just be watching something and then I'll just be tweeting about it. Or, you know, I'll be sitting at my computer watching game of Thrones or something and I'll have Twitter up on my other screen and just be tweeting about game of Thrones.
1: Yeah. My husband permanently laughs at me for, for this sort of thing because he finds it really funny when I get into my live my live tweeting of things. But he he understands it's it's something I like to do.
0: Well, the public, our Twitter public, loves you, so they, <laughs> see? I'm sure they appreciate see, Phil? it. Phil.
1: Yeah, it's it's fine. It's not just a, a weird thing that I do that annoys you. The <laughs> people, people
0: uh, the people demand it.
1: We start then at on the main streets of Dalston in East London, not too far from me, which we were very excited to see Dulston on the telly. We knew exactly where it was straight away, and we start with. Mark and Jeremy walking towards each other.
0: Yeah, and it's kind of it's. We start with Jeremy first, and he's just thinking, "God, I'm so nervous. I haven't seen Mark in about six months. Hope he's not too horrible. Maybe he'll have pretty much forgotten I tried to steal his girlfriend. I pretty much have."
1: Yep, yeah, and it's really, um, it's it's really funny because then immediately we see Mark, who is thinking, "I'll never forget that he tried to steal my girlfriend, but I won't mention it tonight because I can't ruin Superhandsy Stag." So in less than 15 seconds, the whole premise of the episode has been given to us. Like, we know exactly what's going on straight away.
0: How did you know where they were walking?
1: Um. So there's a bridge that's got, it's like next to a station and it's quite distinctive. Interesting. You, yeah, did you find out where the place they walk into next was?
0: I actually have quite a bit of information about this. Venue. Oh, okay,
1: good, because I'll be interested to know if the place is in Dorston as well. So we'll talk about that in a minute.
0: Oh, maybe I, did, I didn't get that level of information, oh. but <laughs> oh, <if I'm> okay. <laughs> just keep talking about something else while I pretend to be interested, and then I'll. You'll come up. back
1: to me. So yeah. um, so Mark says that he's not going to talk about it tonight because he isn't going to ruin Super Handsy Stag. He's reached acceptance with the aid of a self-help CD that he loves. He's reached acceptance, and then they see each other. And they both are, you know, in that way you are when you've not seen someone for a long time and there's bad feeling. They're both kind of, you know, apprehensive about seeing each other. Uh, missed, and uh, Jer- Jeremy refers to him as Mr. Big, the ex provider of my cheddar in his head. And Marx is that he repeats to himself that there aren't going to be any recriminations on the stag.
0: And he thinks to himself, I haven't had a night out for months, no recriminations on the stag. And then he just kind of says, Hello, Jeremy. And Jeremy just responds, Mark. And uh, they keep uh, kind of making this like passive aggressive small talk. And Jeremy thinks, "Uh, I'm going to lean a little bit. I'm going to relax the shit out with a lean. And Jeremy just is like, So how's you? And Mark says, I'm most content. And Jeremy's like, Oh, right. That's good. You're happy. And Mark just says, I mean, obviously, I'm not that happy since Dobby moved to New York.
1: Yeah, and he immediately thinks that, oh, he did re- recriminations on the stag. And Jeremy thinks to himself, of course, the Elephant Man never forgets. Um, <laughs> and uh, and Jeremy says that, well, this is it then, Super Hansy stag. And Mark says he's going to put his hard hat on because it is going to be time to descend into the depths of depravity, which is nothing less than we would expect from Super Hans' stag.
0: Yep. And then as we go into Super Hans' stag, we go inside and we see a place that is not like... Uh, Kind of a Depths of Depravity.
1: No, it's a hippie bar is probably the best way of describing it. It's sort of got wall hangings and wind chimes and stuff, isn't it?
0: Yeah, and it is... This venue is called Passing Clouds. It is a community-run music venue near Kingsland Road in Dalston, East London.
1: Oh, okay, so it is in Dalston. It's in the same place as we recognise the street from.
0: So, um this is one of the first places in peep show that we've talked about filming locations that's ever had its own wikipedia page to quote the wikipedia page it was a hub for cultural and community events including the permaculture picture house east and east palestinian solidarity film screenings healing events self-development workshops music lessons and swing dance classes It was also voted one of the top live music venues by G2, Time Out, The Guardian, Cool Places, and Guest List. Unfortunately, unfortunately, it was shut down a few months after the airing of this episode, and as of June 2016, the venue was shut down for good.
1: Oh, well that's a shame, and I've never heard of it clearly because I'm not cool, that's what we've learned from this.
0: About 2,000 people protested the closure of Passing Clouds and other music venues in London by marching from Hoxton to Passing Clouds in September of
1: 2016. <laughs> oh, upsetting. Around um, 30
0: of London's music venues held a minute of silence to protest the closure of cl- of Passing Clouds.
1: <laughs> wow, that's, that's dedication to, to the hippie bar.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I just was shocked that this was, like, actually such a, a popular place, considering that what happens, like, just a mere two months after the airing of this episode. Three months, I yeah, guess.
1: Yeah, maybe this was what killed it, the Curse of Hoop show.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: Um, so as we walk in, then Superhands uh, sees Jeremy and Mark, and he says, Oi, oi, it's Snoopy and the Red Baron, which made me laugh anyway, because Snoopy and the Red Baron. But then I found out it was a video game, and that made me laugh even harder. So I don't know which Superhands is referring to, but... I liked it, I liked it as a reference. And he calls him a pair of fucking car loaders.
0: Snoopy and the Red Baron is a video
1: game? Apparently so, yeah. Apparently it was an Atari game.
0: Oh. I just assumed that he was calling him Snoopy and the Red Baron because Snoopy hates the Red Baron.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think that is what he's doing, but I liked that it was also an Atari video game because I wondered uh, if Superhands had maybe been into that back in the day.
0: Maybe his nan had a little Atari that he would, uh,
1: <laughs> yeah, would I let him so. play if-
0: let him play from time to time when she wasn't watching like the ten thousand dollar pyramid or something like that <laughs> i like this too because uh super calls him a bunch of carb loaders and he announces that the base juices are all paid for so choose your fucking additions and let's detox till we've got mega cocks.
1: yeah we this is t- this is definitely passed into common parlance in our house so Me and Phil often call each other fucking carb loaders. And uh, and we're always saying we're going to detox till we've got mega cocks, particularly when we're on a a healthy eating spree.
0: Um, And then Jeremy thinks to himself, oh my God, he's cleaned up for the wedding. Iggy's gone to rehab. He's sober hands. And I remember when I was watching this episode for the first time, I was really, really excited for sober hands.
1: Yes, I was also really, really excited for sober hands. Um, I do have a point to make here, though. Obviously, spoilers ahead, but we, we find out that Jeremy... Very soon, we find out that Jeremy and Superhands are living together. So, obviously, he knows that he's, he's sober. Oh, clearly, this isn't a shock to him. It, am I just picking holes in this for the sake of it? Or, it only occurred to me when I was actually doing my notes for this, but I was like, oh, yeah, they live together, though.
0: No, I don't think you're uh, picking this apart at all. I totally didn't even catch that.
1: No, I mean, maybe it's because it's his stag, and maybe... Maybe he's saying it because Jeremy expected him to he thought, Oh, even even in this sort of new phase of Superhands he'll go crazy on his stag But I it, yeah, I watched. I, I love this episode and I must have watched this episode probably fifty times and it hadn't occurred to me until I sat down to do these notes that oh of course he knows he's so that's ridiculous. It should have been it should have been Mark that had that line.
0: Yeah, no kidding.
1: We, we then move on to in the same place but a little bit later, um, and they're all sitting around Drinking their juices and and Jeremy thinks to himself that this stack is one load of PG rated disney asked which magazine approved, child proof, high vitamin fucking bullshit. And Superhands comes over with some more juice and uh, and Mark even Mark says he it's delicious, but he just doesn't know how much more drink he ju- sorry how much more juice he can handle. I think it's like so obviously you've not been pregnant, but obviously when you're pregnant you can't drink. And yet are still expected to go to tedious social events. And you realise quite quickly when you're pregnant that social events are... They are literally lubricated by alcohol. Like, if you've spent a night sober... I remember when I was pregnant with Sadie, I went to... My sister-in-law got engaged and she had an engagement party. It was the longest, like, six hours of my life. Because time goes faster when you're drinking and people seem less tedious when you're drinking. But I was pregnant and sober and pissed off. And I was just so annoyed. I was driving as well. And I was just so annoyed that everyone else around me was having a great time. And I really wasn't.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, Superhands lays out the events for the rest of the night. And he says, so listen, I thought we'd hang out here for a bit. Have a stroll down Oxford Street. Take in a funny t-shirt. Hit one of my favorite Prets, More juice. Bit of a relax. Then this avo. Shopping Relax. Juice and then Tussauds. They've got a new waxwork of Zoella and some other wicked YouTubers.
1: Yeah, um, I remember this really making me laugh at the time. Do you know what Pret is? Do you, does that? Not a
0: clue. I so had made a note to ask you about it. It's,
1: it's a sandwich shop. So I just love the idea of this like wholesome. It's a chain of sandwich shops, I should say. I love the idea of this like wholesome day out that Hans has got planned. Looking at funny t-shirts, having a sandwich, and then going to Madame Tussauds to see. Zoella and the other wicked YouTubers that they've got there now. Like, just love the idea that this 40 year old man was having that as his stag.
0: I've never heard of Zoella before.
1: She is a famous British YouTuber. I don't think there's really a waxwork of her. I hope there's not. If there is, then civilization has fallen apart.
0: Did you ever think that people would be able to make a living on YouTube?
1: No, it's crazy, isn't it? It's it's bananas. My sister went to school with someone who's now like a big, like, teen youtube star in this country and when it when he first sort of hit the big time we were like how is he making any money but he definitely is
0: oh my god i mean i just remember hearing about like some of these first people that were making a living on uh, on youtube and i was just like what uh like how 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 are you doing this like how is this possible that you're making money off of youtube and now it's just it's ridiculous. Some of the money that these YouTubers make—it's unfucking believable.
1: I mean, I have sort of, I have a like a bit of experience with how YouTube can make money. Not not me. I'm not making any money. But my sister, she she's a media studies teacher, and she does some videos that are like for, so they are for students that are doing public exams, and they're kind of like how to videos and sort of talking about exam technique and stuff like that. And she also, she uploads like some of the lectures that she produces that have got like video clips in that are for media study students. And she doesn't make loads of money, but she probably makes like, don't know, 70 quid a month or something like that off of it. So I, I kind of understand how YouTube makes money but to actually earn a living at it, that's that's crazy.
0: No, it's unbelievable to me. I mean, I just remember, like, Lonely Girl 15 and people were talking about how much money she makes. But then I look at some of these. Like, there's this video game streamer named Ryukar that I watch and that dude makes an unbelievable amount of money.
1: And now it's like the children's market is a big thing as well. So, like, I know from Sadie has got into Kiddies YouTube um, and they have actual, like, family vloggers who clearly this is their whole job is to make these videos of their children and stuff and it's all a bit odd it's all a bit weird
0: yeah yeah it's really really fucking crazy
1: missing a trick though maybe i should try and monetize the the children as my form of my main source of income
0: (laughs) (laughs) um so later on uh we get next scene and it's still a little later and um Mark is just thinking to himself, oh, pissing pure innocent smoothie, there's no more way we can talk about juice. And Super Hands is just going on and on about juice. Like He's like, the thing about juice from most places is you get all the fiber and most of the vitamins, but it's been pasteurized a fuck lot of the micronutrient content has been neutralized. And at this point, the waitress comes over and sets like a pitcher of beer down on the table.
1: Yes, and this is Megan, who is going to become important later on. Um she puts the uh, pitcher of beer down and she s- sort of apologises immediately and says, oh, sorry, no, this isn't for this table um, and goes to take it away. And that's when Mark, Mark stops her and says, unless, you know, unless you want to. He says no at first, but then he says, you know, just one little sipperoo to wet the whistle. And he, he, you know, takes a small sip and he's like, oh, that is refreshing. And then... Takes a massive chug.
0: This is where it goes downhill. Do you know anything about Phil's stag party at all? Has Phil ever told you about what happened?
1: Yeah, I think it was pretty tame. They went to Bournemouth and they it was organised by his best friend. Who's, he, so Phil and his best friend couldn't be less alike. So Phil's quite a quiet, unassuming, you know, he's a geography teacher and he behaves like one. But his best friend is like much more, he's a proper party animal. He's really leery, he's really outgoing. So Phil had already said, oh, I don't want anything too, you know, Larry. And Sam had said, no, that's fair enough. Like, you know, we're not going to make you do anything too, Larry. But I think, you know, by Sam's standards, it was low-key. And by Phil's standards, it was, it was pretty, pretty intense. But no, they just went to Bournemouth and they just drank loads. And they love rugby. So them and the other guys watched loads of rugby. And they just got heavily pissed. And Phil had to carry around a balloon shaped like a cock i think that was basically it It was nothing too mental what was your stag like
0: my buddies took me to a strip club in this college town called lawrence kansas and we just got ridiculously ridiculously drunk and um i was wearing a so the local um the local college that's in lawrence is called ku kansas university and they're Um, their mascot is a Jayhawk and their little chant is Rock Chalk Jayhawk. And I was wearing a Rock Chalk Jayhawk shirt and this stripper came over to me and she's like, oh my God, I love your shirt. I want your shirt. And I'm like, you can't have my shirt. And my brother-in-law's like, give her your goddamn shirt. And um, so she gave me the worst lap dance ever for my shirt. And then she (laughs) gave me her shirt, which was way too small for me. <laughs> so
1: that's really funny i think that there was some sort of strip bar involved in phil stag but he was famously too cheap to to get involved with it so i i don't think it i don't think it lasted long i think they went back to the rugby
0: the people that i went with are like real strip club guys and so they were just like super pumped to go to a strip club
1: i don't think i think you've got like i think you've made strip clubs and art over there i don't think we've really got outside of like central London. I don't think we've really got strip, strip clubs to quite the extent or to the quality that you have. I think they're a bit ropey. You're kind of like... Suburban strip club is, is not the kind of place you want to be hanging around, really.
0: They're kind of on the downswing here, too. So. Are
1: they? Me too. That's It's it's, it's kicked us all into such.
0: Not to go all, like, super liberal and everything, but it's just kind of the fact that, like, it makes me feel a little dirty No, Yeah,
1: it is a bit grim. I mean, I've got no... So, I've seen a mouse stripper precisely once and it was not my choice to do so. It was on someone's 18th birthday and it was sprung on us and it was the grubbiest thing possible in no way arousing for, for females. I don't think that kind of thing, but I do, but I could see how it would make you feel very grubby. Um, and yeah, it's, it, I, I think there were, I think for most people, grubbiness is the adjective they would use i think there's a there are a few hardcore strip club fans but they're a dying breed
0: <laughs> oh god this is not where i expected this conversation <laughs> to go. oh god uh so we get to the next scene and they're in the bathroom of passing clouds and super hands is just seeing that you know i just want to fucking suck fucking suck fucking suck everyone all the whole night through oh i love cocaine
1: oh i love cocaine
0: just a little classic super hands song
1: this was my first big laugh of the episode the first time i saw it and i remember me and phil laughing so much that like we didn't hear the next bit of dialogue like you know when you're laughing so much that we missed a whole couple of min- like uh, probably a whole 30 seconds to a minute of dialogue because we were laughing so much it's just really well done it's 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 unexpected but not unexpected
0: yeah i wasn't expecting it to degenerate so quickly
1: no not at all um uh, he just i love super hands, but this is this is classic super hands.
0: yeah um the waitress what is her name again i'm sorry
1: uh, Megan this is Megan who is played by Carrie Addlloyd who I've spoken about before she does the grief cast um over here oh. that's what that's she's the presenter of the grief cast uh, but she's a she's a sort of one of those faces in british comedy she's been she's been in, on QI load. she's been she's been in inside number 9 she has been. she was in a film called Caravan which was a film for a film that was very funny she's just been in a lot of sketch shows and stuff like that, but she's just one of those faces um that's well known in this country.
0: Oh shit! When you go to Griefcast, you need to try to give her one of the business cards.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm gonna slip her one of the business cards, like a you know, in a handshake. But she's um she's clearly you know, like the Griefcast is very different to Peep Show. It's very, but this was um I knew of her from various things before Peep Show, but this is the first role that I'd seen her do as like a like an ongoing character, that a recurring character in something. Um, and she's pretty good in it. Um, she, I think she won some sort of award at the Edinburgh Fringe. I'll probably, it's, I'm going to say like five years ago, but it was probably like 10 years ago now. And I think that her background is in um, like improvisation. So I think that she's like comedy is her, her main thing, but not scripted comedy. But she's, I think she's excellent in this and she plays Megan very well.
0: So when you were watching this, did you realize that Megan was going to be kind of a big character? Or Were you thinking to yourself like, "Wow, that's really surprising that they would get her to play just like a cameo character"?
1: No, because she plays a lot of cameo characters, so it made sense that she'd be a cameo character. But I think once that she's once we see Jeremy speaking to her again in the toilet, I kind of thought, "Oh, I, wish, I thought she was going to be Jeremy's love interest for this uh, series." But obviously, it's a lot more complicated than that.
0: yes um so megan is saying that you know she's really passionate about her art but she's stuck working it here and it's like what's gonna happen for me you know and jeremy just says like probably never uh (laughs) what are your actual chances of making a living as an artist and she says "Uh, i don't know like not very high and he goes exactly and he says, "Sometimes you have to kill a dream to follow a dream." That's advice backed by a professional standards body.
1: Brilliant advice, Jess. That's what we should. You should have that printed on a T-shirt.
0: Yeah. And then uh, Superhands just yells at some regular, some random guy, "Fuck off!" I heard of the Strokes before you.
1: <laughs> and yeah, I Mark, love him. I love that line.
0: Yeah, and Mark, who looks just totally pissed, is just sitting on the toilet, and he just leans over and he says, "Ha." It did degenerate. I knew it would.
1: Yeah, um, Superhands is like messy drunk at this place. Yeah, and Superhands says he wants to go the Fort horrible. Take me to the nasties, he says. Um, and Jess says that's all going to happen in good time. But I think he's he's too too drunk to go on any further.
0: And uh, next we see Mark and Jeremy like kind of um carrying Superhands back to his apartment, and uh, Superhands is just screaming. Molly, I want Molly. I love Molly. And when I first watched this before I realized that Molly was his fiance, I thought he was talking about the drug Molly.
1: <laughs> no, I I think I got that it was his his fiance, but I can see why you would think that. Um there Jeremy says that she's not here uh, or um but that we're going to get you on the futon, sleep it off. Uh Superham says that he hates the futon. Um and Jeremy says, everyone does, but they're indestructible, so we're stuck with them. And Mark kind of looks around and, and says to Jeremy, so you're living here with Superhands and his fiancée, the three of you in this tiny flat, and it's clearly a very small space.
0: Yeah, and Jeremy just says, uh, yeah, let me show you where. Let me show you where. Come on through. And he, they, he takes Mark into the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. And you see that there's a sleeping bag set up in the toilet. Um, there's, like, a little, like, kitchenette set under the sink. And Jeremy just is like, let me give you a tour. Like, they're on a fucking episode of MTV Cribs.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, I love how proud that Jez is of this. Like, it's a sleeping bag in a bath. But he's he's got an, optimi- an optimism, Jeremy. I've thought this before, where as much as he's an absolute shithead, you can't be cross with him because... How does he manage to be optimistic about such shockingly shit situations? But he's kind of like, yeah, you know, it's not number one, Hyde Park Palace, but it suits me. The humidity is actually great for my chest in here, and it's like, and you could just see Mark is is the audience here thinking, what the fuck are you on, mate?
0: Yeah, I love this, and uh, he says, you know, I can drink from the tap, and when I need to, I just push the bag, the bag down, bang the bogs right there. I just <laughs> kneel and piss directly into the plug hole it's my system. And Mark's like, Oh, and you even, that's a good system. And Jeremy shows him the kitchen and Mark is just, Hmm, you've got a great setup here. And then he thinks to himself, toilet toast. And at this point, Mark tries to excuse himself and Jez, uh, excuse me, Superhand says, Jez, I need to. And Jeremy's just like, Oh, sure. Right. No problem. Wicked. Uh, will it be a longie or a shorty? No worries, dude, you decide. And then Superhand's like shuts the door. And Jeremy says, that is the one side, uh, One downside, but it's cool. And Mark just says, okay, uh, I'm going to take off. And Jeremy thinks to himself, there goes my other half, my better half. And Jeremy calls out and he says, Mark, we need to talk. There's something I need to say to you. And Mark gets really excited.
1: Yeah, he thinks, finally, this is the apologathon that's about to happen. Um, And just then, Superhand shouts through the door, there's going to be a long A. Um, um, And Jeremy says, maybe... We shouldn't talk here. And we cut to the next scene where we see them walking into the familiar surroundings of the flat at Apollo House.
0: Yeah. And it was nice to kind of see Apollo House again.
1: Yeah. Um, Jeremy's thinking to himself that it's simple to say sorry, but it feels like if he says it, he might actually die. Um, And as he walks over the threshold of the flat, he thinks there's no need to apologise now because he's back in. We'll just pick up where we left off.
0: So Jeremy is all excited but this is when we meet Jerry. Yes. And Mark introduces Jerry to Jez and Jez to Jerry. And
1: And Jerry is played by Tim Key, who is a I don't know if you uh, knew him before Pete's show, but he is a uh, like a comedy actor again that's pretty well known in this country he at this point the thing i knew him best for was that he was uh in the newer alan partridge he is alan partridge's sidekick at the radio station sidekick <laughs> steve
0: ah yeah interesting
1: yeah but he like he used to have a segment on charlie brooker where we've read his own poems tim key which was really funny and he's just again he's one of those sort of comedy actors in this country that's like everywhere yeah that's awesome Mm. uh
0: the peep show verse continues to expand with uh more and more actors do you think that they tried to just get as many like cameo actors in this given that they knew it was going to be the last series
1: yeah maybe and probably there was a there was probably a sort of element of that and there was probably an element at this point as well of like actors wanted to be in it so you know it was probably like a win-win for both both sides of the the setup was that they wanted as many you know they wanted high profile people and high profile people wanted to be in it. I think
0: Uh, we find out at this point too, that Mark has been working at a bank and that Johnson got him in both Jerry and Mark make this little joke about how uh, he's off the sauce, unless you count tomato sauce.
1: (laughs) Yeah. um, I love the way I love the way when Mark introduces him, like there's a look of just disbelief on Jesse's face. And he says, it's Jerry colleague from the bank. And he's like, Jerry the bank and the way he says it just really makes you laugh and then Mark says Johnson got me in and he's like Johnson like it's just it's just like the disbelief in Jeremy's demeanor about all of this is funny yeah
0: it's really good um Jer- Jerry says that he just split from his ex she was a miner from Moldova. A gold miner, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> and he says that him and Mark are the rebound brothers. And then they kind of do this thing where they like shoulder check each other while going boing boing. And then Jerry looks at Jeremy and says, "I guess you could say I'm the new improved you." And Jerry starts to laugh. Mark starts to laugh. And then Jeremy just lets out this gigantic <laughs> fake laugh where he's just like, <laughs>
1: <laughs> "Yeah." And he thinks the old dude brothers trump the rebound brothers. You total fucking asshole. And as Jerry kind of sort of walks away, Jeremy turns to Mark and says, he's using my mug, Mark. And Mark's like, they're all my mugs.
0: Yeah, uh, I love that part. (laughs) Um, So they head into the kitchen, and as they do, Jeremy looks in his old room and we see the apple green or the apple white White. walls. Mm. And um, Jeremy just says, hey, that's my duvet. And Mark thinks to himself, I don't think so. And... Mark just kind of starts to wheedle Jeremy, and he says, so what was it you wanted to say? I've got to work in the morning, so i quite like to get to bed. And he, then he thinks to himself, you know, watch him grovel live while I swir- swirl a brandy and hold a breadstick like a big cigar.
1: Yeah, and Jeremy just thinks that um, I'm out, Jerry's in, so I don't need to apologize at this point. And he just says, pretty sure that is my duvet. And Mark can't believe like he's incredulous. He's like, that's it then, is it? That's it. And and Jeremy's like, Yeah, and he's like, You don't wish to play the classic ball game, sorry. Um you uh we could hunt the YouTube clips of the Ronnie Corbett sitcom, sorry, whilst we ate some sorrel soup, and Jeremy knows full well what he's driving at, but will not do it.
0: Yeah. And he says, look, Mark, I know what you're getting at. But the fact is that day with Dobby, I had a medical brain attack. I've got a note from a doctor if I can find the bloody thing. And Mark is just like, "Okay, this is just such typical Jeremy. You're not to blame for anything. Well, fine. Good night. I'll see you around, no doubt. And Jeremy, excuse me, says, fine, I'll go. But before I do, I'm reclaiming the Falklands. Jeremy runs into the bedroom and he takes the duvet as he's taking the duvet, Mark is saying, you know, that's not yours, it's Jerry's, Jerry needs it. Jeremy says, fuck Jerry, it's mine. Mark says, Jeremy, this isn't normal. And uh, Jeremy says, it's all normal. And Mark thinks, there he goes, duvet cape man off to his toilet kitchen. <laughs>
1: um, we then move to the next scene where Jeremy is in his toilet kitchen. And he's looking at the bath and thinking that you, I don't think you could say that his life's a failure because he's got a sleeping bag and a duvet. In the olden days, he would have been a billionaire. And just as he's sort of thinking this, uh, Superhands comes in agitated and he's sort of whispering in a hurry and he's saying that he's fucked. Molly found a wrap coke in his pocket um, and Jeremy says, oh, God, like, you're really in the shit. And Superhands agrees and then he says, no, actually, I had to say it was yours, so you're in the shit. Can you take the hit for me, mate, please? Because she's gonna break it off with me if she finds out I've been coking. And at just this point, we meet Molly, who walks into the kit, the sorry, the, the the toilet kitchen, looking pissed off. She's got the, a very good pissed off face.
0: Comes in and she says, "Jeremy, is it true?" And Jeremy just says, "Yeah, the coke. Yeah, it's mine. I brought some coke to the stag, even though Hans not asked me not to." And I offered, but he refused to have any.
1: That probably would have been enough. Superhands can't leave it there. So he kind of like... And I love this bit because he sounds like the kids at school when you catch him doing something bad. He's like, yeah, Jeremy was all like, come on. And I was like, no, 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 mate. And it is so, it's so clearly a lie. It's so inauthentic.
0: Yeah. And then Molly asks, well, why was it, why was it in Hans's pocket? And Hans just says... Uh, why? Why? Because he was trying to spike people and drug little kids. And I was like, no way, dude. And Jeremy just says, yeah, I'm a spiker. It's just one of my things. And Hans just can't, can, you know, leave well enough alone. And he says, yeah, he was like, let's spike these shitheads. And I was like, no way. And uh, Molly's like, I couldn't see that happening. Spiking. And Jeremy <laughs> just is like, I am just a terrible, terrible shithead.
1: Yes. um, He is I like the way that Jesse is not kind of he's not he's he's not not pleased about having to take the blame here, but he's not arguing it too much. It's I always think it's funny in the sort of dynamic where Mark and Jeremy obviously Jeremy's the shithead, but then when it comes to Jeremy and and superhands, Jeremy kind of is forced into taking the mark role sometimes, and the, I think this is one of those instances where he's a bit taking the mark role of thinking. Well, I'm just going to take the hit for my friend here even though this is ridiculous.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Poor Jeremy. I feel Poor very Jeremy. bad for I feel be- very bad for Jeremy cuz at this point Superhands kind of is standing behind Molly and um Molly starts saying, you know, look, we put up with a lot with you staying here, but I think if we want the lifestyle we want, yeah, look, sorry Jez, but you're a bad influence and you're going to need to leave. And Jeremy says, can't I stay here one more night after everything I've done for you, not just in the past, but like really, really recent? Molly says, I'm sorry, Jez, you broke you broke our trust. And then Super Hands, of course, has to just get the last dagger excuse me, the last dagger in, and he says, You're a liar and a pervert and a scumbag, and I never want to see you again. And he makes this little like call me symbol with his hands.
1: <laughs> and I just love the way he delivers that. You're a liar, a pervert, and a scumbag. It's just such a super hands insult, and it, but and yet somehow it sounds like poetry out of super hands' his mouth.
0: Yeah, it was very, very fucking funny. Yeah. Next scene, we are at Met City Bank, where Mark's new job is.
1: Yeah, and I, as um, I'm, you clearly, you obviously don't know this, but I don't know how they got away with this because the Met City Bank is like, it is the design of it, even the name is so like the Metro Bank, which is a bit of a joke bank that we've that has sort of developed in this country over the last few years where it is like they they talk about like a new way of banking and they are like a phone shop that's exactly what they're like and even like the color scheme is almost exactly the same as metro bank and the definitely the layout of the of the building and like the way it's designed and I don't know how they've got away with it unless they're in the pay somehow of metro bank it it was really made me laugh the first time I saw it
0: I guess I didn't realize that that was uh, that they were so um, that it was such a direct ripoff of yeah, something. Yeah, it's an
1: absolute ripoff of a Metro Bank. But but Mark says that he's working in a bank finally, and banks have turned into phone shops. But he's still a bank. He's proud to be a banker.
0: As he's walking through, Johnson comes up to him and he's like, "Oh, hey, Marco, how are you? How are you going? Good, buddy." And Mark's like yeah actually great old pal and Johnson says oh really I thought you might be feeling like a guy who's just walked into a high-class restaurant with a sausage dog on the end of his dick and he starts to kind of just remark about how shitty his sales are and Johnson says you know I pulled strings to get you in if you if it looks like you're a sausage dog fucker then I look like a sausage dog fucker do you get me and Mark thinks he sa- Mark thinks to himself, got to get my dick out of the dog and uh, then Johnson just kind of storms off. Jerry walks by and says, someone did get enough tomato sauce on his bacon butty. And Mark is like, oh, yeah, he certainly needs a little more sauce. And then they just keep, like, Mark thinks to himself, "Ah, oh, just repeating the joke.
1: Yeah, um, I tweeted when this, the, this scene came on that Johnson had got really bored, which he, he has compared to the previous series of, of Show where we see him. Um, and also... In my notes, I've made a point that I don't know if this is just me or my perception, but is this the first instance of really horrible Johnson? And is this because he doesn't like Mark anymore? Because he doesn't seem... Johnson's always been horrible, but he always seems to have been horrible to the favour of Mark. But he seems to have real disdain for Mark at this point. Mm -hmm.
0: I don't think so. I mean, I think that... I think that this is just, you know... um... I I think that this is just Mark's or uh, excuse me Johnson's like typical kind of like businessman bullshit.
1: Okay, all right. I, I I you could be right, and it could just be that that my perception of it is off for whatever reason. But I just thought I don't know. I just thought he just seemed like he was he suddenly got a lot more unpleasant.
0: I mean, he also could be on the sauce and not you know.
1: That could be true. Yeah, he could be. He could be changed in other ways. We don't know what his personal life is like at this point.
0: Yeah. Um, and then Mark thinks to himself, fuck, where's a good old-fashioned gullible idiot when you need one? And then we hear Mark, and we see Jeremy.
1: Yes. Um, and we move on to the same place, but just a few minutes later, and Jeremy's sitting down at the desk in front of Mark, and he says that he, he felt really bad about the other night, clearly, when he ran off with the duvet. Um, so he has got Mark a biscuit, he gives him a like a big cookie and he says i know you'd like they call them cookies but i think you'd prefer me to call it a biscuit which is spot on that's the most mark that's the most truth about Mark's character i think that we've, we've ever heard um and mark is kind of going like oh yeah okay yeah and he's clearly looking at something on his computer and they clearly had a conversation about loans because um because mark then starts telling him about uh the the conditions of, of a possible loan proposal and he says the good thing is to get three thousand pounds you'd pay just 21 percent apr and jeremy sort of nods dumbly and he's like oh is that good and mark says yes yeah, it's, it's pretty good and um, i just cringed <laughs> yeah as someone who works in insurance i'm sure that you are all too aware that this is not good um he says um you only need to repay and then he sort of He's clearly about to say how much you need to repay each month, and Mark thinks if you want it, the loan to last for one hundred and eighty four years
0: yeah at twenty one percent a p r Jesus, you'd like never pay that off
1: no, Jeremy's confused by all of these numbers, but he he just can't believe that he's getting three grand for free
0: and um and Mark <laughs> says and the interesting thing about you is that you'd actually qualify as an f six now, I'd made a note here is this is f six like something that actually exists?
1: I don't, I don't know, I don't know enough about credit ratings, let's have a look, F6, credit rating, I know a few things about credit rating because my, I'll explain in a minute about the problems I had with when I got a mortgage, but uh, it doesn't say, all I know is that credit ratings here are, are numbers, and the higher your number the better you are really, no I can't find anything. You maybe it's know. maybe it's meant to be like in the bank code. You know what I mean? So that if the customer sees it, it doesn't. They don't know what it is. But yeah. I know that there are different codes. So so when we got our um, mortgage, we had the first sort of round of trying to get a mortgage. We had real problems, and we kept getting rejected, and we couldn't work out why because as far as we were aware, our credit ratings were fine. Like we had a deposit that was big enough and everything, and it turned out that Phil's name had been misspelt on his credit rating and he someone with the same name but the misspelling of the name was like a massive fucking loan non-repayer and had just gone around the country getting out loans under slightly various different spellings of this name and Phil had got one of the ccjs on on his, um, like, county court judgment on his credit record, and I know that they had a code for that, and it was, like, basically every time they typed his name into a bank computer, it came up with this code and, like, a siren.
0: Interesting. Yeah, so
1: I'm guessing, like, an F6 is, like... is just means shithead, basically.
0: Yeah. Mark says that one of the nice things about this credit rating is that to qualify for this loan, all you need is a reference from a landlord or a former landlord, and... Then he asked Jeremy, would you like to play capitalism? (laughs) Um,
1: Uh, No spoilers intended here, but this is clearly malpractice on Mark's part, isn't it?
0: Oh, my God, yeah. You can't sign for a loan that you're issuing.
1: No. um, Like I say, I don't work in finance. I've never worked in finance. But even I knew there and then that this was going to come back to to bite Mark in the arse.
0: Yeah, I just kind of figured this was just goofy comedy and probably was not you know gonna be like turned into anything yeah um so Jeremy is again trying to like convince Mark to let him move back in and Mark just is you know oh you wouldn't want to live with me and Jerry we're stick in the muds who like nothing better than watching Civilization with Ken Clark while Easting Artichokes and Seabream
1: <laughs> which is a lovely image um and, and Jeremy says, great, no, that's fine. Um, I'll be fine in the park until the loan comes through. Uh, thanks, anyway. And he sort of goes to walk outside and, and Mark thinks, there goes the first beat of the butterfly wings that start the next financial meltdown.
0: Yeah, and uh, yeah, I thought that was pretty funny. Next scene, we go to Mark and Jerry inside of the flat and Mark is saying to himself, You know, 6.45, there's a lot of evening, isn't there, without the goggle box. And Jerry just says, maybe we should treat ourselves, get back to that William Morris documentary. And Mark thinks to himself, ugh, more William Morris. Wallpaper and workers' rights, God, this is like the dark ages. Centuries and centuries with nothing to look forward to, except the slim possibility a Viking might break the door down and rape me.
1: Yeah, and then we cut to the bathroom, and Mark is sitting on the toilet playing Candy Crush, He's thinking crush, crush the candy. So relentless, so satisfying yet unsatisfying. Like Cleopatra, Candy Crush makes hungry when she satisfies, which I like a Shakespeare quote in there in Peep Show. Highbrow. Keep us keeping us highbrow. And and he laughs at him. Sorry. Go on.
0: Are you a Candy Crush saga fan at all?
1: No. I you know, I'm pretty cross about Candy Crush because when I was in Labour with Sadie, Phil sat there for four hours playing Candy Crush while I was in Labour, so I won't play it on principle.
0: Okay, well, that's a good thing to know. I won't play <laughs> Clash of Clans while Nicole's in labor.
1: <laughs> to be fair, I was pretty off my face, and it was at the bit where they were like, oh, we're going to give you these drugs so that you can get a bit of sleep uh, before like, the good stuff starts. And I, but I wasn't asleep, and it just was really irritating me that he was sitting there playing Candy Crush like like, like nothing was happening when I was in huge amounts of pain. But no, I, I it's not, it's not my sort of thing. Did you ever play Candy Crush?
0: Yeah, I was, like, a huge Candy Crush guy for a while.
1: Yeah, Phil Phil was heavily into Candy Crush and was, like, he, I think it's a, I don't know, I'm going to make a sweep in generalization. I think in general it's, like, a male thing and, like, Phil really enjoys a kind of repetitive sort of game like that where, like, you have to crush so many things or whatever. Like, it's it's not for me. That's not how my brain works. <laughs> I'm not saying he's an idiot. I would never say that. But No, no. Uh,
0: I, I uh, don't think that that's what you were saying No,
1: like, but I just think it's, yeah, it's definitely like a different way of your brain working. And I, could, I think like computer games in general, I've, I've never been a computer game player. and I don't think I'm likely to start now. Like, I just, I don't understand what part of the brain that appeals to. But Phil says he likes to do that sort of thing because he finds it relaxing. So I can see different strokes for different folks.
0: Mm-hmm. Um at this point uh Jerry kinda shouts through the door and he's like, Oh, are you okay in there, Mark? and um uh then he, you know, Mark says he's fine, shouldn't be too much longer, and Jerry says, Take your time, mate. I've paused it and Mark <laughs> thinks to himself, Oh, I've killed twenty minutes of Morris, but no. Um at this point there's a knock on the door and um Mark opens the door and it's Jeremy and he says, Oh hello, Mark. Got time for a chat? And Mark thinks himself, could just shut the door, and but maybe he better come in for a minute. And then he's worried that Jeremy has read the small loan of the print. But then he realizes that Jeremy doesn't read the big print either, so he's fine.
1: No, no, there's no way he's read the small print. Um, He marks in two minds about whether or not to, to let Jeremy in and talk to him, but he thinks, you know, he's going to protect me temporarily from William Morris. Um, and Jeremy's thinking, look out, Mark, my brain's got something in it, and you don't know what something... Uh, Mark says he quite likes to get back to his reading so you know if you could be quick and Jeremy says did you know Mark that every time you play Candy Crush on your phone you send out a Facebook invitation um, and Mark's like I don't know what you're talking about and he's like I don't think you know your settings very well mate you're pumping out invites every time you play Mark thinks he says that perhaps he was hacked and Jeremy says otherwise because generally it's people that have just posted pictures of their cock on Twitter that say that
0: yeah, I love and I love when uh, Mark just thinks fucking Facebook Zuckerberg's fucked me again, the asshole. And I just wrote, <laughs> "This is pretty funny in hindsight with what's happened in America with the election."
1: <laughs> yeah, um, Mark was ahead of the trend on the on the Facebook fucking he was getting. Um, Mark says he can't think of any explanation other than that he was hacked. And Jeremy says that the problem for Mark is that he knows him. Uh, I know you, and I know you like to pretend that you're some stuff shirt who reads incredibly boring books about dead people killing each other with bayonets and typhoid, but I know the truth about you. I've watched Grand Designs with you. That smile when some eco-glass gets delayed on its way from Antwerp and the nice couple get pushed over budget, that's the real you. <laughs> and I love this because isn't this the truth about anyone that you've ever stopped being friends with or broken up with that the biggest threat they pose is that they know too much about you
0: oh my god yes 100 <laughs> percent.
1: yeah i i've thought this quite often i thought it the other way around of that you can pretend like you can pretend to be this like nice guy or whatever but i know what you're really about um, and and I've, I've definitely got people that that i know know too much about me and that i know too much about them and that's why we must just keep to our separate parts of the world <laughs> yeah
0: yeah <laughs> this is like uh a- I don't know if I talked about this before. It's kind of similar to the relationship my sister and I have where we, well, I guess not anymore because now we're adults and we're not stupid. But when we were kids, we had this agreement that we would never rat the other one out because we had so much dirt on the other one that if one of us ratted one out, that it would just turn into a mutually assured destruction.
1: Yeah, there's definitely, there's an element of that of like there are people in your life for whom, and I've got a couple and, I, and it's that just we must, must both keep what we know to ourselves because you'd, it'd be it'd only be suicide for yourself to start throwing stuff.
0: Mark thinks I do want Octopussy in a twirl, but I'm not going to give him the satisfaction. And um, they said, "Shall we?" And after you, and they walk into the living room, and Jeremy Jerry is reading, and he says. To Jeremy, well, if you're going to stick around, you might want to get a book out. And Jeremy fires back, "Well, I haven't got Mr. Nice with me." And Mark says, "You're reading Mr. Nice again?" (laughs) And Jeremy says, "There's a hell of a lot to it."
1: Yeah, when I read it, I'm usually extremely high, which makes it better, but also means I forget most of it, which is great because it never gets boring. And Jerry's got his feet on the coffee table, and Jeremy sort of walks across and like doesn't say, "Oh, excuse me," or "Can I sit there?" He just like nods at him to kind of make
0: it clear who's the alpha housemate here. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, he starts talking to Jerry about what he likes the, the thermostat set at, And he says, "Oh, take it. You're a 23 degree guy, Terry. And Jerry just goes, Jerry. And Jeremy just says, whatever. And Jeremy, Jerry says that he is a 23 degree guy. And Jeremy says, that must be awkward with Mark because he's a real 21 degreeer, And, um, It's Israel versus Palestine, isn't it? The endless beef. There's no possible compromise. And Jerry just says, Oh, we often settle on 22. And Jeremy says, That's that's great. Both one degree uncomfortable.
1: (laughs) I made a note here that when he says it's like Israel versus Palestine didn't Jeremy bring this up in series one to Johnson mm-hmm. uh, about in Mark makes a friend is this, do you think this is how Jeremy like starts all his confrontations with anyone else who might want to be Mark's friend?
0: It's probably just how he frames things in his life is that everything yeah. is Israel versus Palestine.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Mark decides to break the tension by asking who wants a cup of coffee. And we then cut to the next scene where Mark is making the coffee and Jeremy comes out and says to him, Jeremy said he doesn't want coffee. He said he'd make his own later. He said it like he was joking, but he says that your coffee tastes like horse piss.
0: And he, then he finished, follows up with saying that I don't really think he was joking. And Mark tells him to try a bit harder. And Jeremy says, then he hit me. And Mark says, he did not hit you. And <laughs> at this point, Jeremy just decides to get real with Mark. And he says, you need to face facts. Jerry's a wanker. Kick him out. Kick me back in.
1: Yeah. And Mark says, no, he won't be doing that. Um, and... And um, he's and Jeremy asks for what reason, and Mark says, No reason. And Jeremy says, Is this the Dobby thing? And Mark says, No. And Jeremy, like, sort of raises his eyebrows, and he's like, And Mark says, Of course, it's the fucking Dobby thing. And um, Jeremy says, I knew it. And Mark's like, Yeah, well, duh. Like, you, you tried to profess your love to my girlfriend who I was trying to propose to. You fucked up my life. Like, of course, that's the problem.
0: I, I have to say that I think Mark is a very big man in the scene because if. I don't know, like, say one of my best friends had tried to get between Nicole and I, and then uh, it caused Nicole and I to break up. I don't think I'd ever forgiven that motherfucker.
1: No, definitely not. So I was thinking exactly the same thing, and I've made a note of this, which is that, so, so my, like, my other long relationship other than Phil was with the, the bin burner, and he was, his best friend is now married to my best friend, which would have been beautiful if me and the bin burner had stayed together. Unfortunately, we didn't. And the bin burner was was really cruel to me. Like, it was a really horrible breakup. And my best friend and his best friend, who are now married to each other, totally took my side and, like, cut him out completely and never spoke to him again, and quite deservedly. But if I was thinking about this, if there had been any inkling of the idea that they were going to take, like, not even take his side, but not take anyone's side... I think I would have cut them out and I think and I've said this to them which was that you know I was so grateful that they they chose me because it was the right thing to do like he'd been a bastard. um but I couldn't I couldn't forgive that and I think that's not as bad as what Mark, as what Jeremy did to Mark so Mark actually is a, is a good guy for doing that
0: Yeah I think so too he just is he you know it's like you said uh sometimes when you break up and especially if you have like mutual friends. Like, uh, the first girl I dated when I moved back here from the air force, like when her and I broke up, all of her, all of her friends just pretty much cut me out. And I was perfectly okay with that because they were her friends first and not mine.
1: Yeah. It's, you know, I think, uh, uh, you know, it's always hard when people break up and there's, there's normally divisions along sides that are foreseeable and stuff like that. Um, and I think that what Jeremy did, and I think even Jeremy knew that because he did say, didn't he, on the train in Series Eight that he he knew it was true love because he was prepared to sacrifice Mark for it. And I think that that just simply by saying it, no matter really what the outcome was, he should have accepted that he was he was going to lose Mark.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, so. Jeremy kind of says this, like, very sarcastic, you know, apology. I think, you know, we're both very sorry about what happened. And Mark says, no dice. And then he's like, I'm really, really sorry, Mark. And Yeah, he does it in
1: a variety of accents, is not he?
0: Yeah. And then Jeremy just says, all right, fine. I admit, I shouldn't have come on your picnic. And then Mark just goes, and? And Jeremy just says, what? Look, I'm sorry, all right? And Mark just says, finally, and Jeremy just says, and if you like, I'll lay it on with a trowel and tell you I like you, I value you and Mark just thinks to himself, Oh Jesus, he's gonna say he loves me
1: <laughs> Yeah. And then he's like, Oh fine, apology accepted. Um It's it I I do I do think that Mark and Jeremy to a certain extent need each other, to a certain extent destroy each other, but I agree with you that I think Mark has, has done gone way above and beyond the the line of duty here
0: oh uh, yeah uh, a shitload like he definitely didn't need to do this for um yeah definitely didn't need to do this for jeremy
1: and i think as well maybe it's just because he's like hating living with jerry but six months is almost like it's almost gone on long enough that they never have to speak again now really like if you've not spoken to someone for six months it's easy to not speak to someone for a year and then like tenure you know what i mean it's like he's almost over the worst of it so it's interesting that mark chooses to to kind of engage jeremy at this point but maybe it is just because living with jerry is shit
0: yeah that's interesting i guess i hadn't thought about how uh if you haven't talked to somebody for six months you might as well have not talked to him for like a fucking year yeah um and then Jerry at this point is calls into the kitchen and he says, Come on, Mark, we're in Kelmscott Manor in the Icelandic icecape. And Mark at this point says, Maybe I do sometimes wonder about Jerry, but I've made my bed and so well. And Jeremy just interrupts and says, Maybe I can help with that.
1: Jerry comes out into the kitchen and he's like, If you're not into the William Morris documentary, we could change gear. And Mark's so enthusiastic to hear this, he's like, Yeah, the Sopranos. And um, Jerry says no Ruskin John Ruskin art painter and draftsman watercolorist and philanthropist. I don't know where he's getting all these terrible documentaries from um, and at this point Jeremy steps in and says that he's afraid he's got an announcement to make
0: yep and he says that he discovered some drugs on uh, Jerry's uh, personal you know <laughs> on, on his person and he says he saw Jerry put something in his pocket and he didn't like what he saw, and then he pulls some coke out, and he says, Coke, Mark. Jerry is a cokehead who loves to take coke. Jerry says, No, you put it there. And Jer- Jeremy says, No, I took it out, which is a very, very different thing.
1: Yeah. Um, and Jeremy justifies this by saying that, clearly, it's um, it's just Jeremy's, Jeremy's... Sorry, it's very confusing. Jeremy and Jerry... It's Jerry's way of trying to keep himself interested in all this garbage. He pretends to, like, he drugs his head off. And... Yeah. Um, Jerry says... This is a terrible thing to accuse me of. And he turns to Mark and he's like, come on, Mark, I don't think ridiculous. Tell him to go away and we'll get down to a Ruskin and some reading. And Mark says, the thing is, Jerry, I'm not sure that I could live with a drug head. And Jerry's just <laughs> like, this is ridiculous. Like, you know this isn't true. Why, why are you choosing to believe him?
0: And he just says, are you trying to get rid of me, Mark? You don't believe him. And Mark says, maybe I'm not as interested in William Morris as I thought I was when you first started to go on and on about him. And Jerry just says, why didn't you just say? And Mark just says the most British thing ever. And he says, I can't just say things, Jerry. (laughs) And Jerry says, well, what if I don't want to go? And Mark counters, well, we can't go back now. The atmosphere is soured. We have no choice. And Jerry just says, I can live in a sour atmosphere. (laughs) Mark says, well, I can't. And Jerry says, well, you bloody can. I'm going to my bedroom and I will be coming and going as I please. Yeah,
1: and I love the idea here that... that jerry's just like why didn't you say it and then mark says he can't just say things because god so many things in my life i probably think i'm still doing i can't think of anything on top of my head but definitely done some pretty major things or put up with some pretty annoying things on the basis of that i can't just say things
0: hold on before we go to this next scene like this is mark's apartment unless jerry signed a fucking contract to live with him Mark can do whatever he goddamn wants to.
1: Yeah, doesn't Jerry... Is it later in this episode or does Jerry say that he's got a verbal contract? But that doesn't really count for anything. Like, we assume Mark's got a mortgage on this house and that it's Mark's house. Like like you say, he's staying there, Jerry's staying there under Mark's goodwill. Like, he can get rid of him whenever he wants him to go.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is Mark's goddamn apartment. If he doesn't want Jerry to live there jerry can't yeah, live there yeah
1: but jerry having none of it and he's gone to bed
0: yeah um mark and mark and jeremy are talking about what they can do and um jeremy suggests they could go the full lid and mark is appalled by this he says kill him with polonium and jeremy's like okay not the full lid and i i made a note here do you think they would have called this the skirple by now <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think they probably would have done. I think that that would be a living Yenko is like a, a an outdated reference. It's uh, it, we've got a new one now. Three years on.
0: Yeah, the skirpel. Yeah, don't ever go full skirpel. Don't
1: skirple. go full skirple. Um, Jeremy <laughs> says not full it Yenko, just to like put a bit of something debilitating in his dinner every night, grinding down, weakening until he's all pathetic, and they could just scoop him up like a sick whippet and dump him. Um. Oh
0: god, this whole this whole scene is so fucking And I creepy. really,
1: but I really like it because when Mark says, um, because Jeremy then says you might quite like him, you like tending him as he grows weaker and weaker, here's your ter- tea, Jerry, and you must get better soon, or do sit up, Jerry, while I spoon you some of this slightly silvia, silvery porridge, and they both have a little giggle, and it's exactly like when you, like, like, you must have friends, like me and my best friend do this all the time, where we've got little jokes between us like little voices that are not funny really but we find each other funny so it's funny and anyone any third part, like both of our husbands just think oh god what are they what are they laughing about now but we do this all the time and you see maybe for the first time ever a real glimpse of why Mark and Jeremy like each other and why they keep coming back to each other is because they do they do love each other really there's a real moment and like and it's probably is just the actual friendship of David Mitchell and Robert Webb, but like they probably giggle at each other and it's quite endearing.
0: Oh my God. Yeah. It just is like, I just like when Jeremy's like, you might like tending him in as he grows weaker and weaker.
1: <laughs> and also the fact that they know it, it clear, it's clear they know each other so well because, because Jeremy's hit the nail on the head there. Like Mark probably would quite like we- tending him as he got weaker and weaker. And Mark's laughing because he knows that's true as well. Um, it's just, it's just really, I think it's just really nice. It's really nice to see that friendship. Um, Jeremy then asks if he should keep his voice down and Mark says, no, he's an irritatingly sound sleeper earplugs and eye mask, the full blot, which made me laugh because I've got a friend who does this and I wear an eye mask myself, but he does both. And I've often said, how do you know when you're awake? Like it must just be like being dead. That must be horrible. Um, but he says it's the only way he can sleep. And clearly Jerry's the same.
0: Yeah. And, uh, Jeremy suggests that they could just start moving his stuff out. And Mark says, no, no, we couldn't. And then he just kind of follows up, could we?
1: (laughs) And then we move moments on where we see them sort of moving the stuff, or Jeremy's moving the stuff, and he says, we're almost there. Last two. And Mark thinks, this doesn't feel good. And, And Jeremy says, it's fine, Mark. It's like a prank. And just then... Super Hands appears with a can of beer in his hand and three more tins in the other hand, and he says, "Oi, oi, fellas, how's the ethnic cleansing going?" <laughs>
0: <laughs> and uh, and Marcus like Hands, and Jeremy says, "I thought it might be good to have some backup." And Hands says he owes Jeremy; he took a bullet for him, and then he calls Jeremy a pure chrome dildo.
1: <laughs> Solid. That's uh, that's a brilliant, brilliant expression. Um. Then everything's out and and Mark says, what now? Uh, Jeremy suggests that they could tie to a hot air balloon, which is very practical. Um he could drift away out of the window, or we could punch him, and then he says to Hans uh, uh he sort of turns to Hans and he's like, Hans and Hans is like, Why are you looking at me? You punch him.
0: Yeah, I love this, and uh and uh then they start talking about how we could intimidate him, fart in his face, psychological warfare grind him down, attack his beliefs, and Hans just says, yeah, plus we fart. And Mark just says, what, is this farty Guantanamo? (laughs) No, I think we just have to wake him up and tell him to leave like men. Yeah. And then Super Hans points out that he is bagged for, or Jeremy, excuse me, says he, he is sort of bagged for our convenience. And Hans says, yeah, we could just bag him up and sling him out. And Mark thinks... I'm definitely going to agree to this. I just need to put up an acceptable level of objection so I can be all reproachful if it proves to be a disaster, which it almost certainly will.
1: Yeah. Uh, he says no way. And then he's like, Oh, okay, but on your heads be it. So Jeremy gives Hans the green light to, to bag him. And of course, here <laughs> Super Hans pulling the drawstring on the, the sleeping bag wakes Jerry up and he starts protesting. And um and sort of Superhands kind of half-picks the bag up and he's like, he's done, he's bagged. And he sort of does it like you would if you'd caught a snake in a bag, you know, that kind of like, ah, what do I do with this?
0: I love when he just, like, slumps Jerry on the floor and he's just like, Jesus, Jez, I thought you were going to grab the other end. That's the normal way. And Jeremy's just like, the normal way?
1: Yeah, none of this is normal, shouts Jerry. I've got a verbal contract.
0: Mark says he doesn't. And then jerry threatens to take them to small claims court and mark is screaming i'm not part of this jerry um they kind of drag him out of the um apartment and jerry is just screaming you know like help they're kidnapping uh, kidnapping me and one of the neighbors opens the door and mark just says oh we're the croydon bullington it's not a prank shush jerry
1: Yeah, it's hijinks um it's hijinks. hijinks Yeah and Jerry shouts it's not a prank Call the police Call the police And <laughs> and then Hans shouts shut, shut it or you're getting waterboarded And Jerry says do not bloody waterboard me And Jeremy starts to waterboard him and Because then Hans sort of looks at them And he's like waterboarding this is horrible And he's like you two need to take a good look at yourselves And it's like yeah this Hans is the voice of reason You know you've gone too far
0: uh, Jerry is screaming, This is against the Geneva Convention. I'm contacting the <laughs> Citizens Advice Bureau. And then the elevator doors close and the elevator starts to go down. And Jeremy just thinks, I'm back, baby. The bitch is back. And Mark just shouts out, Bye, Jerry. See you at work tomorrow.
1: <laughs> oh, it, it's such a good episode. And this is my tweet uh, directly afterwards what a strong start this was. I can't wait for next week, I said. Um, and I. Completely stand by 2015, Laura. I love this episode. It is one of my absolute favourites of modern times.
0: See, that's interesting because uh, I don't think this episode is bad. It just didn't really like. I don't know. It just didn't really jump out. Did no, it
1: not? It's interesting, isn't it? How how you can have such different thoughts about? Yeah, I just I love this episode. Like it's just. I think it's really funny. I really I really enjoy like what a strong comeback it was, especially after such a like lackluster series eight. I really enjoy it. I think everyone plays their parts really well, so like everyone comes back really strong and then the new people are also really strong in it. I just I just really like it.
0: Yeah, I mean I don't think it's um a terrible episode. And I remember when I watched it, I was really like, oh yeah, the L dude brothers are back. Like, fuck yeah. Um, but watching it again, after watching all the other episodes, like, I thought it was okay. Um I'm looking at your chart and hearing how much you have praised it. I am going to say three.
1: Close. as one I like more than this in this series. Number five.
0: Oh, number five. So wow. this is
1: my fifth favorite show. And my second favourite of this series um yeah I just I I would like it and found it really funny and I do think that it like I say just such a strong comeback after such and I think I know that we found re-watching them we found elements of both seven and eight that we enjoyed but I think after seven and eight which has let's face it it's found about six years it, it just it was such a welcome return to form, I think, for, for me, after that six years of, like, oh, okay, Peep Show's lost its way a bit, And that was definitely how mm-hmm. it was portrayed, like, how it was painted in the British press. So, at the time, like, all the TV reviews of the, that weekend stuff were saying, oh, thank God, like, Peep Show could have ended with a proper whimper, but I think it's going to come back and end with a bang.
0: Yeah, I mean, I thought this was a great kickoff to Series 9 when I watched it the first time, and you know, uh, I know that there's a lot of people who malign Series 9 and say that it's not that good, but I uh, overall, I, th- I feel like Series 9 is pretty good.
1: We should address that, really, which is that I agree with you, like, a lot of people on, like, particularly on the Facebook group and, like, on Twitter now say, oh, they didn't like Series 9, but I don't really understand why, and I don't know if I'm missing something, but even, I, I think even the worst episodes of Series 9 are far superior to those sort of middle of the road, the seven and eight, some of six where I just felt like the characters had come as far as they could go. But with this, I really felt like, and it was probably from the writer's point of view, because they knew they had a, an ending now and they had an ending they wanted to, to, to put in place. I felt like, yeah, there's fire under them. Like they've got their zing back.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I th- I almost wonder if maybe if the show had had a definitive ending That maybe series eight and six, seven, and eight, like if they maybe they if they had said, okay, the show is ending at series eight, I almost kind of wonder if maybe six, seven, and eight would have tightened up a little bit and I do, you know, cut out some of those filler. Yeah, I do think this
1: is something that we suffer from in this country because, from what I gather anyway, and my understanding of like, I'm no media studies teacher, but my understanding is that quite often with American series, particularly because they're so long quite often there's an end game in in mind before that before anything's even properly been written and there's like a three part story almost, like a novel. And I think because our series are so short and because there's always that element of like not knowing if it's gonna have been recommissioned and like until it's happened and almost wanting to leave an open ended ending. I think sometimes there can be a weakness in our our series because of that.
0: Yeah, I was actually thinking about this as you were talking about it in I think that Lost is one of those shows that really really suffered where early on it really hit its stride but then kind of during the middle seasons where there wasn't really a clear defined ending that it kind of just tottered along and then once they were like okay season 6 is going to be the last season that that was when the writing really tightened up again and then Yeah. Um, yeah, I
1: mean it's clearly not the case for all American series but for my understanding is that most American series have got tend to have more of a, a tighter idea of where they're going, clearly Lost didn't. And I think if you look at our British shows, some of the strongest sort of comedy drama of the last twenty years I would say have been and they they they, they, they are they are drama as well, so you can't put them in the same category as, as Peep Show. But Russell T. Davis, who was a Doctor Who writer wrote the new Doctor Who, he um came to prominence in this country with Folk, which was a, I believe, six part, might have been eight parts, and then did Cucumber ten years later that was like an eight-part dramedy. And he was very set in his conviction that he would not write something that had an open ending so that it might be recommissioned. He knew how many episodes he wanted to write and he knew what he wanted the endings to be. And the endings of both of those things is phenomenal. And I think that's because he had... The courage of his convictions to not go chasing that or maybe we'll get a second series thing and i think that the office the uk office is another one where they knew they wanted to do 14 episodes and they did 14 episodes and there's a story arc and there's a story to be told and it gets told and of course shows like peep show that are long running like that i wouldn't be without any of the series of peep show even the less good ones but it did just sort of meander all over the place for years and years.
0: Mhm. Yeah, I agree. And,
1: yeah. Yeah. And that you know, that's and, and maybe that is why I like Series Nine, because it has got a it's aiming for something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you a hundred percent that uh you know, once once it had a clear defined ending, everything really tightened up, so
1: mm, Yeah. Have you been watching or listening to anything this week other than Japanese wrestling?
0: Uh just really uh have been enjoying the current season of US Big Brother. Like it's been fucking amazing. It's been really good. Do your um, big brothers
1: now go on for like four months like ours?
0: Uh yeah, they're like three and a half months or so. This yeah. one is ninety-nine days.
1: Do you think you could you could hack it in the Big Brother house?
0: Uh I think that I could. My problem is that I have trouble like keeping secrets to myself.
1: <laughs> Me too. That's why I couldn't ever go on anything like that. I'm a I'm a I'm not even a horrible gossip because I don't tell everyone. I'm just, I could never not, like, I could never not tell someone stuff. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm the guy who, the day after my wife found out she was pregnant, I called my mom to tell her, despite the fact <laughs> my wife, like, was like, don't tell anybody, and I was like, "Oh, nope, got to tell my mom.
1: That was pretty good going, because I told my mom and dad that I was pregnant with Sadie within, oh, probably not, the, the piss on the stick probably wasn't even dry. It probably wasn't even a full hour. So that was, <laughs> yeah, you did quite well there, I'd say. <laughs>
0: Um, no but it's it's been really good cause last season of Big Brother was kind of a letdown the only one returning player Paul um, but Paul just kind of ran the entire house and it was really boring because it was just Paul's march to finishing runner up and you know none of the house guests tried to move against him or tried to you know plot to take him out or anything like that it was just this like slow march to inevitability mm. and Uh, This season, with no returning players in the house, the the gameplay has been really sloppy because none of these people know what they're doing. Um, the The two sides of the house are like super polarized against each other. Um, There's a lot of everybody that's gone home has not expected because usually, like what happens is, you know, the people who go home they know usually about a day or two. Like you're going home, and you know, people will sit down and be like, "Hey, you're going home," so that it's not like this huge. You know, because at this point, the votes are pretty much, like, solid. I don't know, does that that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, this season, though, however, everybody that's gone home has been completely blindsided, and it's been fucking amazing. Like, you just see, like, these genuine reactions from people who are like, What? And the woman that got voted out this week was just crying like hysterically and julie chen was trying to interview her and was like oh who do you think voted against you and poor rachel is like crying hysterically and can't you know form cohesive sentences and julie chen is like yelling at her like who voted you out and it was it was funny i
1: I guess that goes back to i mean i've not watched big brother in this country for like 15 years like not since sort of series one and two over here because it got very samey. And then it was uh, Channel Five, and but that was like at the heart of what made Big Brother good in the early days was that it was it was all unexpected.
0: Yeah, um, I'm a huge like Survivor, Big Brother fan. So you know, the fact that they only have one se- season of Big Brother a year, I think, really makes it like must see TV for me.
1: Mm, yeah, I've got a recommendation actually uh, this week, which was me and Phil have watched. Um, we've watched the whole first season. There's two seasons. I think there's a third season coming of Goliath starring Billy Bob Thornton. Um, it's on Prime over here in the UK. I don't know if it's something you've seen, but it's really good.
0: Goliath, Billy Bob Thornton. Uh, I haven't seen this.
1: It's Yeah, it's really good. And Billy Bob Thornton makes it. We... But we loved him in the first season of Fargo and were excited to see him in something again, like a TV show again. And he's he doesn't disappoint. He's really good in this.
0: Oh, that's cool. Oh, oh. you know what? I have been watching a new TV show that's not Big Brother related. Oh, yeah, go on. It's called Castle Rock on Hulu.
1: Uh, why have I heard of that?
0: It's Stephen Castle Rock is Stephen King's little fictional town that he created.
1: I'm sure I've heard of the TV show, but I don't know why I've heard of it. Let me have a look.
0: Yeah, and it's written... Funny enough, we were talking about Lost. It's written by J.J. Abrams, who was one of the Lost writers.
1: Ah, is it a little bit... Oh, this looks quite good. It looks like it might be like a higher quality American horror story. Is it in that kind yes. of vein? Yes, yes.
0: Yeah. yeah, it's definitely in that kind of American horror story vein.
1: Uh, I'm definitely going to tell Phil about this, because, man, if we didn't love American horror story.
0: Yeah, it's but it's much better than... Um, uh, so far it's been much better than American horror story. Cause it's written by, um, it's based on characters and settings by Stephen King. It has like really solid writing. Um, it also has another, another lost actor in it. Terry O'Quinn. Um, it's got Bill Skarsgård who was, um, um, it, he played Pennywise right, yeah. in the new it movie. Yeah. He's a very creepy looking guy. Um, it's just it's really good i i'm really enjoying it my wife got me turned on to it and i am really enjoying it
1: i'm looking to see where i can watch this oh here we go there's an article in the independent is it new
0: yeah it's new it just started maybe two weeks ago
1: yeah where can uk viewers watch it? yeah i'm definitely gonna look into this then this looks right up our street
0: yeah there's three episodes basically there's four episodes that are out
1: right okay cool thank you i definitely
0: looking to in. It does help to watch it if you're a Stephen King fan, but even if you're not a Stephen King fan, it's I'm still... I'm
1: not a huge Stephen King fan, but I've read enough Stephen King to sort of know a few things about Stephen King. So, like, I know, I know the basics, I would say. I'm an entry-level Stephen King reader.
0: Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of, like, little callbacks to other books, and um, one of the main settings is the Shawshank Prison from Shawshank Redemption, so lots of fun little call yeah, yeah lots of fun little callbacks
1: oh it's so. on hulu in the us and
0: i'm assuming there, it are no, be on... there, are,
1: there are no international rights for it in the uk so british viewers can't watch it that's what you think google
0: yeah good thing there's such thing as a vpn that can for the first time ever a british person can try to trick somebody <laughs> into thinking they're american
1: Yeah, the show will have to wait to find a UK broadcaster to air the program, much in the same way as Channel 4 airs Hulu drama The Handmaid's Tale. Yeah, well, I won't be waiting, so thanks anyway, Google.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you can probably find it for download somewhere.
1: Yeah, I'm sure I'll be able to find it, but great tip, thank you.
0: Yeah, not that I would encourage people to go download it or anything. No,
1: no, of course, we would never encourage that, but, you know, what people want to do on their own time, Yeah, nothing to do with the LD brothers.
0: Yeah, exactly. I'm not telling you <laughs> where to go to the Pirate Bay to get it or anything like that. Or,
1: yeah, I'm not I'm not actually providing you with the link.
0: Yeah, or you, you know, download a VPN called Hala to trick it into thinking you're from America. You know, I'm not telling you any of that.
1: <laughs> oh, All right. well, I suppose I should let you get back to one of your five jobs. So, yeah.
0: Well, before we go, I want to just... There's one quick thing I want to talk about. I was really excited to find out that we have a new Patreon sponsor, Mr. Mr. Collins, who will be joining us next week for Gregory's beard. He is another Australian, which means we're going to have to uh, record at some like obscene hour of the day because all of our big Patreon supporters are uh, Australian for some reason, but that's cool. We don't mind. (laughs) Um, Just going to, I've been waking up at 4.30 to watch Japanese wrestling. I can certainly wake up at 3 a.m. to record the L Dude Brothers podcast. Um, We also... I also put... about Maybe it was about a year ago or so, I put a survey up just asking some questions. As we come to kind of the end of the L Dude Brothers podcast and the start of a new one, I put the survey back up again. We already have seven responses, and there's been some really solid gold feedback. If you have two, three minutes, please, please, please fill that out. It really will help Lauren and I out. If you leave an email address, we are also going to do a drawing for uh, if you want to get something from Pedge's houseboat or the Dobby club Etsy, or if you really want my script book, I will mail you my script book. Um, Like I said, we've gotten some really good responses so far. So if you know, you guys could just please take two or three minutes to fill that out. It'll only make the podcast better
1: yeah that'd be great thank you so much to the people that have already done it
0: uh i'll send you the feedback because i don't i'm not sure if you've seen it yet but i'll send you some of the feedback yes, please do gotten.
1: yeah i've seen i've seen some of it but not all of it so if it can all be in one place that'd be even better yeah
0: yeah all right well this is the rebound brothers signing off Boy Boy <laughs> all right goodbye Bye. Laura.
1: see you later folks. i am in loco parentis. I am the last remaining contestant on The Apprentice.
0: I am the home-trained dentist. Ah I- yeah yeah yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs>